Hi, this is Alan Adamson, author of Shift Ahead, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best. Have you ever wondered how small shifts in direction or perception can dramatically affect a small or large business's viability and prosperity? My next guest, Alan Adamson, co-author of Shift Ahead, how the best companies stay relevant in a fast-changing world, shares some valuable insights on topics like acting quickly on information to avoid a crisis, and thinking small, as they did in New York City's Central Park, to increase a sense of ownership and accountability. Great insights are in store, so listen in. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Alan Adamson. Alan is co-founder and managing partner of Metaforce and is a brand industry expert. Prior to Metaforce, he was chairman of North America Landor Associates, a global marketing, a global branding firm. He's the author of several books on branding in the digital age and is here today to discuss his latest book, Shift Ahead, How the Best Companies Stay Relevant in a Fast-Changing World, co-authored with Joe Steckel. Welcome, Alan. Thanks, Bill. Pleasure to be here. Good to have you. Alan, tell me, when you had your first job interview after getting your MBA at NYU, what was the interview like? And how did it um, how did it kind of open your eyes to different ways of looking at things? Yeah, I was uh, all prepared, like you would expect, and trying to learn. It was at an ad agency, a large ad, ad, ad agency, and I was trying to uh, have all my answers ready in, in my head in terms of the media strategy questions or the market segmentation questions or how to do an ad or how to position a product. And finally went into the final interview of the day, which was uh, a sign that you had not messed up the earlier interviews, and it was with the CEO of named Ken Roman. And I was all set for these technical questions. And Ken looks at me and we're sitting in his office at five o'clock. He said, all right, Alan, you've done pretty well today. Tell me about the last book you've read and why you found it interesting. And then I want you to tell me about the last show you went to see and why you saw it and what did you learn? Staring at him like he's from Mars. I said, don't you want to know about market research or don't you want to know what I'm prepared for? And I, I was totally caught off guard and I did my best to muddle through you know, something other than green eggs and ham as a book. And after I started working, I went back to see him and I said, Ken, why did you ask me those questions? You know, uh, I was, was really caught off guard. And he said, Alan, you know, we want our people here at Ogilvy to be our clients' eyes and ears, to see what's going on in the marketplace, to help them see what's potentially around the corner, what may be coming, uh, where their product or service might live. And so we don't want geeks here who just know lots of facts. We want people who are in touch with what's going on. And that's a lesson I took with me uh, for my career, realizing that marketing is about making your product or service relevant in a rapidly changing world. And if you have no clue what's going on in the world, you're not going to be very good at marketing. Sure. Because everyone can learn, especially with the internet today, everyone can learn the latest facts and figures, but it's not just understanding the facts or the applications or the latest TED talk, it's really understanding its application and relevancy to your market. Yeah, relevance and context. So where, where do you fit in the broader landscape or what's going on? And if you're not, if you're not aware of that, pick something else other than marketing, go into accounting. So what are a couple things that you do as a practice these days in order to keep your awareness into the marketplace? 
What things that you read, uh, maybe podcasts or shows, what are two or three things you use to keep relevant? Well, I'm pretty old school. I'm uh, I'm a heavy uh, New York Times and Wall Street Journal reader, and I start my day uh, zipping through those uh, publications from both a uh, what's going on in business and what's going on in the world and what's going on in culture. Uh, and I also like to uh, not just go to my desk and uh, stare at emails all day, but you know, part of staying current is to is to get out of your desk and to travel and go to neighborhoods and walk and look around. At least you have that benefit in New York City where you don't just get in a car. You can actually walk through neighborhoods and sort of see what's happening around you. And what is it that inspires or guides the direction of your work today? I always look for uh, clients that are facing challenges that don't have any end any easy answer. You know, if you can add up the numbers and say the answer is 55 and that's what we need to do, because uh, 45 says this, that's less interesting. I call those, you know, linear problems, you know, where there's a problem, you know, clear set of steps you need to do and the problem is solved. I like solving problems where, you know, there don't appear to be any great answers. <laughs> All the choices appear bad, or there are three great choices and you can't make up your mind. I, I like solving conceptual problems where figuring out what to do or how to grow your business is not obvious or easy. If it was obviously easy, most folks would do it themselves. In addition to struggling with hard problems, what's a specific issue that maybe one of um, your consultant clients brought to you that they were thinking about before they reached out to contact you and engage your services? Well, I think most of the time, as your listeners know, that part of the challenge is most folks are very focused on the category they're in. You know, I, I refer to as they're, they're, they're sort of spending time playing tennis. I play tennis badly, but if I try to play better, I'm really focused on the person across the net. I'm trying to hit the ball away from them. Uh, and most people in business do the same sort of thing. Uh, when I was at Unilever uh, worrying about uh, soap, I was worried about what was Procter doing, what was Colgate doing, and there was a fixation on the competition. When I worked at Pepsi, I was focused on Coke. Uh, and most people are, are like that. They're they're just if you're um, if you have a dry cleaning store, you're you're focused on the dry cleaner down the block. I found that if if uh, if if somebody just pretends they're playing a little golf, I play golf badly too. But when I play golf, I'm not that worried about the person standing next to me. I'm more worried about can I hit the ball? What's the wind? What's the terrain like? And so same in business. I think if if you just really try to watch your customer and observe what's going on. You'll, you'll be a step ahead. So focusing on the customer's need is a huge change. Might even say it's a shift. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a shift. And everyone says, they, I pay attention to my customers and you listen to what they say. And I, you know, if you come into the dry cleaning store, they may say, can you do it cheaper? But part of it, I think you have to be a little bit of Jerry Seinfeld. You have to be a great observer of behavior, not just what they say, because people say what you expect them to say, that they want it cheaper, faster, better. You know, just watching their behavior and just being more of a astute observer of, that's strange, you know, why are they doing this? Why are they, you know, why are they, be? and thinking about it, uh, uh, perhaps out of your category is a good way to do it. I think that's a great point, Alan. I think that watching what people do tells you much more than what they say. They'll play back what everyone else is saying. When I, when I was long ago working with Procter and Gamble in the dishwashing category, dishwashing dishes, you know, if you ask consumers what they wanted early on, many many years ago, they'd say something that cleans and it's good for your hands because that was the advertising that was going on. Palm olive cleaned and was good for your hands. Until you know somebody sort of says, "Strange, you know, good for your hands is important, but what's the worst cleaning problem?" And maybe it's getting grease off dishes and 
let's launch a new product, and we called it Dawn. And uh, all of a sudden, everything changed because, as Steve Jobs famously said, they, sometimes consumers can't tell you what they want or what's around the corner or what might change their thinking. They'll just play back what the socially acceptable answer is or what they're hardwired to do. So in your book, Shift Ahead, you talk about, um, first of all, tell me the message. What's the core message of Shift Ahead? The core message of Shift Ahead is that um, most people are, are running their business as if they're in Marty Crane's chair from the old Fraser show. They're, they're just more comfortable with yesterday, more comfortable with the familiar. And it, it used to be the world changed, but not that fast. And if you ran your business like your parents ran their business, you'd be mostly okay. And then some categories started to uh, to change. You, know, you were at Apple, uh, and technology was the first wave of that. But now every category is almost changing as fast as a tech category. And so if you just do what you did yesterday and you let inertia, you know, this is the way we do things, more and more businesses are going to become irrelevant. And that's what we were finding as we did. We researched over 100 companies. And most knew they had to stay relevant. And if you ask them, what's your main job? is, oh, we need to be relevant to our consumers. But most of them were becoming less relevant every day. And so while the, the idea of staying relevant is easy, staying relevant as a company is really hard. In Shift Ahead, you detail seven red flags from your experience consulting some of the, the largest brands in the world, as well as mid-sized companies. What's the one red flag that seems to elude leaders across the board in, in not seeing as it being applicable to their company? And this is an old marketing idea, but the number one red flag is they're being too myopic. They're worrying about the bookstore next door. They're worrying about the toy store around the corner. They're not zooming out and really seeing what's going on in the category. And we interviewed the folks at Hertz quite a bit. And I was dropping my son a couple of years ago in college. And we got to the airport. And I, I was being a, being a person who's afflicted by the Marty Crane's chair syndrome. I said, let's go rent a car and we'll drive down. And my son looked at me like I was from Mars. Rent a car? Dad, what are you kidding? You know, he pulled out his phone and you know we'll have we'll have an uh, an Uber here forever. So you know the folks that when you the folks that hurts were very focused on when you rent a car. <laughs> do you want the coffee cup holder over here, or what do you like, or how's the bus experience, or was the car ready on time? So they're asking all those questions about how is your rental experience. But they're not asking enough questions of if you weren't going to rent a car, how else would you get around? <laughs> and so that you know that that are just focused on. Are they doing a good job in their current service or company or business? Not, you know, if you weren't going to have your clothes cleaned at this corner, <laughs> how might you do it? The alternative to them, the alternative to their product or service. Exactly. Can you talk about in, in your book, you write about the American Cancer Society as one of the issues that they had to deal with was that their leadership was on autopilot. Can you describe the situation they were in and what needed to shift for them? They were very focused on, as they needed to be, on how to raise money, and they had originally um, come up with a, a way to do it. And as you know, fundraising for nonprofits has become far more creative. And if you do the same thing every year, uh, all of a sudden, it's no longer that relevant, same in business. So they, you know, they were continuing to follow the recipe that had gotten them to the pinnacle. They were in regional chapters. Every regional chapter had the ability to do their own thing, so they weren't even pulling together all the players. They couldn't get internal agreement. And if you zoom out, as I was talking earlier, 
it, the game has changed, oh, whether it's the ice bucket challenge or whatever creative approach that a nonprofit uses to say, hey, look at me and, you know, this my cause is important. And so part of it was fragmentation inside, which, you know, a big challenge for businesses that have become irrelevant is everyone's pointing at the other guy and saying, you know, it's your fault or there's no clear answer. And the other is in a nonprofit is how do you raise some money? And uh, they were just doing the same old, same old thing. And while it was effective 20 years ago, the only thing for sure is was less effective every year they did it. And what is it that made them shift? What is it, that, aside from the realization that there was decreasing effectiveness of what they were doing as the same old, same old, what was it that really crystallized it that shifted them to action? Usually uh, it takes some outside intervention in this case. You know, the, the board was looking at the revenue numbers going down, 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 down every year, which is usually a signal that something's not good, and decided to make a leadership switch and said, no, something's got to change, and we need to, why are we raising less money? Cancer is, if anything, a, a bigger challenge in society than it was 20 years ago. Why, you know, hammered by St. Jude's and other terrific nonprofits, and uh, crisis is a mother of invention sometimes, and sometimes companies or lots of times companies don't make a shift until not only is a writing on the wall, but the place is, the place is burning. And so another big red flag is waiting too long, uh, taking too long to, uh, by the time you decide to shift, you're, you're out of gas, you have no money left, uh, the market's moved and it's too little too late. I mean, in the paper uh, this week is the CEO of Sears saying he's running out of time and He's been trying to turn Sears around for 10 years, and then before that, it was struggling. And you don't have to be a astute observer of business to know that shifting Sears ahead today is going to be harder than it was, would have been 10 years ago, given their balance sheet is 10 times worse. Interesting. And so there are some companies and businesses of all sizes that need to do something different to shake things up. And in your book, you also have a great contrast to that, which is Katz's Deli. What they need to do in order to shift out of their their business quandary. So Cats used to be one of many New York delis that define a category of unhealthy eating, if you would. <laughs> and most of their uh, competitors went out of business, and um, they're one of the they were one of the last ones standing. And to some extent, they were standing because they maintained a really authentic experience, and they didn't change what was working, so it was contrary to many, many other companies. And, um, but even though they didn't outwardly change the store, the experience, the screaming, the, how you ordered your sandwich or how the waiters dropped the sandwich on your table, they did shift ahead and think about, gee, if you can't get to our store, how else could we do business? And more and more of their business became mail order, shipping sandwiches, shipping delis, experiences, sandwiches, food around the country. So they established a big warehouse distribution center, logistical program with um, FedEx. So even though it appeared it was the same old deli on the corner of 2nd Avenue there, uh, they had shifted ahead, but they shifted ahead in the back room to take what was working there and bring it to life. The other interesting thing about the Cassett Sally is that sometimes luck matters. <laughs> uh, and they used to be in a terrible neighborhood in New York. Not when they first started, but later in the 90s, the neighborhood was terrible, and going there became less and less desirable. But like everything else, things change. 
And now their neighborhood has become incredibly hot in New York City. Lots of young people moving in, lots of new condos going up. So don't underestimate the importance of just uh, sometimes luck and keeping your company and your business relevant. That's so true. Luck plays a part of it, yet it's not something you can count on as part of your strategy. Cats has remained successful because they didn't just automatically react to market changes. They kept true and authentic to what really was valuable to their customers. And that's an important lesson for business owners listening in. Exactly. And they also didn't degrade their experience. Lots of their competitors franchised and they opened a cat, you know, a store here or a restaurant here, a restaurant in Vegas, restaurant in the suburbs. And what happens if you if you're in a service business and you're trying to replicate an incredibly unique experience? It's hard to do it. So lots of their competitors, you know, expanded but ended up watering down the experience. And ironically, um, the most important marketing tool that your listeners know today is word of mouth, and no one shares the ordinary. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And they were able to keep an extraordinarily unique experience going in time for word of mouth to make the big difference in their business. So lots of people come to the deli, take a picture of themselves uh, with their pastrami sandwich, share it on social media, and all of a sudden, uh, Katz's marketing gets easier. Alan, from your experience, if a company has the opportunity to raise its word of mouth visibility and they don't know how, what's an example of firm maybe you've worked with that was able to raise their visibility and use that to shift ahead? Yeah, the theory, like everything else, the theory of most of this stuff is pretty easy. Uh, everyone knows the theory. It's how you do it. It's, it's hard. The execution is hard. So the theory, how do you get social media, is you, you know, no one shares ordinary, as I just said. People only share extraordinary. So you have to do something different. You have to do something worth sharing. We had a great conversation and research in a book with an old-time publication that was piling up on many of our basements and our, my basement. It was National Geographic. And they had been in the magazine business forever and you know huge challenge in media i'm not going to go through that but they were really struggling and you know one of the things they realized is that people of course were interested in reading about nature but were reading less magazines and certainly uh, reading less totally so about 10 years ago they struck a partnership with a cruise line a very small expedition cruise line called Lindblad Travel and what they did was they rebranded those boats national geographic boats so instead of just taking a cruise uh, to Alaska and on some other cruise line, you can cruise to Alaska on National Geographic boats. There are National Geographic photographers on board to help you take the perfect whale picture, be it with your iPhone or be it with a bigger camera. They're naturalists for National Geographic. And so all of a sudden, when you're on a National Geographic boat, uh, taking the incredible shot of the whale breaching, you're sharing that with all all your friends on social media. And so you're living a National Geographic experience and sharing it. No one would get online and say, I just read National Geographic magazine. It was pretty interesting. But if you've got that amazing picture of the whale, and now they have expeditions to Antarctica, to the Galapagos, they're all over. You know, you, you can't wait to share pictures and tell people about the experience you had exploring with National Geographic. And so there's just an example of how bringing your brand to life, making it an experience, figuring out how you can make your customer have an incredible experience, makes it shareable, and then unlock social media. That's a terrific example because it really helped the org- the magazine transform its relationship with its customers. And that was a, a great insight. It's something that's applicable to businesses out there to ask themselves, how can I transform the relationship I have while still maintaining the solution, the category, the market space, but give them some added value in that way? Exactly. You know, 
you know, what can you do that's that little extra? One of the great interviews we did in terms of researching was with Tom Friedman, the uh, columnist. He talked about uh, having pancakes uh, in his uh, little uh, hometown Minneapolis uh, restaurant and how the, 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 the waitress there gave, you know, extra strawberries and extra uh, fruit and, you know, put a little extra into, into their pancake experience and it made it memorable in the experience. And so, you don't have to be uh, National Geographic to figure out how to do this. Everyone can provide a little extra something to make their customer's experience really unexpected. And if it's unexpected, people will share it. Yep. Unexpected and exceptional. It's a great combination. It's like strawberries and cream. Exactly. So if you're running a restaurant, you know, surprise somebody. Give them, uh, give them some extra whipped cream and some strawberries. You'll unlock social media better than just uh, serving them a tasty meal. That's right. And it also builds not only referability, but repeat business, which is so important because it's the, right. the right. least expensive form of business to gain. Yep, exactly. Your current customers are always your best. And, but, you know, treat them, realize that everyone uses social media. Everyone talks about it. Everyone wants to have something that goes viral. No one knows how to do it. <laughs> you know, everyone can do it. Uh, you just have to be creative and think out of the box, zoom out, Get out of Marty Crane's chair. Another issue that businesses today are struggling with that I hear all the time is increased accountability. Increased accountability for results from their staff, increased accountability for the, the managers who are looking to build skills and, and penetrate new markets with new products. What's an example that you've come across that might help us understand another way to get accountability um, by shifting ahead? Yeah, we had a terrific conversation with the folks at the Central Park Conservancy, and their job is to keep Central Park, which is this little piece of green in the middle of Manhattan, nice. And when you look at the statistics, it's phenomenal. The number of visitors, I forget that, millions a day come through that park. You know, it's 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 uh, not easy. And they, they did a pretty good job raising money, so they had more money, but they found that they were still struggling eight or nine years ago with, you know, you know Garbage piling up, cans overflowing, grass being trodden down, people not walking their dogs and cleaning up. I mean, there were dozens of issues. Um, the, the conservancy said, well, maybe we're thinking about this wrong. Instead of having a person responsible for garbage and a person responsible for plants and a person responsible for dogs and traffic control, why don't we break the park into, I forget the exact number, 125 backyards and give every Conservancy Park Ranger, uh, a small area to be responsible for everything, not just watering the plants, but everything. And by assigning that accountability, now when I go running in the morning and go into the park, I see Debbie on her golf cart, and she is working her little area of the park. She knows me. I know her. If I were to drop a, uh, uh, a sandwich wrapper, it would be like dropping in her backyard and people start to know her and she's responsible for everything. She treats that little piece of Central Park like it's her backyard because it is. And all of a sudden, not instantly, but really quickly, 
the park transformed because you had somebody accountable for every corner of the park, not somebody saying, eh, my job is just watering the plant. I'm not going to pick up that, that sandwich wrapper. That's, that's somebody else's department. And lots of people look at their job and say, you know, I'm responsible for this. I can't help the fact that the, you know, we're not selling any books at the bookstore. That's not my responsibility. I'm just responsible for putting the books on shelf. So if you can get your employees to, to own the problem or own the business, Totally with you. Uh, another famous line is, no one ever washes a rental car. <laughs> you, know, you only wash your own car. So if you can get everyone to feel like they're driving their own car and will wash it, <laughs> take care of it, repair the tires, as opposed to renting it uh, or just doing one thing, you'll be far better off. That is a terrific um, illustration of that principle. Alan, are you ready for the mic quest for the best lightning round? Ready, set, go. All right. What are uh, two or three of the key components of your routine for daily success? I gave one of them, which is I, I, I try to start each day zooming out, reading papers, looking online at the news, looking at news uh, that I don't ordinarily look at, publications that I don't ordinarily look at, um, you know, seeing what's going on in the world. And what's the book that you've given the most as a gift in the last year? I, I've really enjoyed uh, *Sapiens*, which is uh, a story of the human race. It's 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 an incredibly interesting look, uh, not just what's happened in the past hundred years, but what's happened in the past million years and how we got to where we are in humankind. And it, it just puts everything in perspective, from uh, pollution to environment to uh, all sorts of issues. A really terrific book. And what's the best advice you've ever received? Have fun at what you're doing. You know, part of, I think, success is to, you know, love it. You know, when I am working on a client problem, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I'm thinking about it when I'm running in the park, <laughs> when I'm walking down the street. I'm not just thinking about it when I double-click uh, on the file to open the folder on my desktop. Um, so, you know, make sure you you love what you do because... Uh, if you do, you'll just do better at it and have more fun. Well, Alan, I want to thank you so much for joining me and your contributions on my quest for the best. You've talked about so many great ideas, such as the first time that you had an interview for your first job, and you were asked about the first book and the last show that you read um, in order to find out whether you could contribute, not just as someone who had the, the, the technical skills, but who had a broader perspective to bring to the agency. You reminded us about the skills of Jerry Seinfeld as an observer and that how, how that can help us shift ahead in our business and, and our life. You warned us and gave us a great signpost to look for with some of the red flags of not shifting ahead because it's always easier to shift earlier than to wait too long and shift later. And the stories you shared from National Geographic to uh, Katz's Deli, um, Central Park, all helped us add some dimension to these important concepts. So thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. How can we find out more about your work online? You can uh, look me up at uh, my firm, Metaforce, and I'd be happy to talk to you. Metaforce.co, C-O. Actually, we don't have the C-O-M, but C-O. And what parting words would you like to share with our listeners? Be curious. Um, uh, and, you know, realize success is never final. So every day you start, just don't get complacent and look ahead, shift ahead. Thank you so much. 
Alan Adamson, author of Shift Ahead, How Best Companies Stay Relevant in a Fast-Changing World. Thanks for inviting me, Bill. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I'd appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.